O come, O come, Emmanuel, a carol of anticipation. I love to sing this time of year. Merry Christmas. I'm Charles Morris, and welcome to the Great Stories Podcast. And on this episode, I want to share with you our Christmas special that we produced 10 years ago that's still pretty significant to me. It's called Jesus Has Come to Our World, and in it, we think about how the Old Testament people of God looked to the promises he had given of a coming king who would free them from their sins. But we also think about how the people of God today are looking forward to the return of Christ when he will make all things new. But even in the already but not yet, we can celebrate Christ's birth and at the same time look forward to his future return. So now, let's get started with a very special Christmas episode. You're listening to Jesus Has Come to Our World, a Haven Today Christmas special. I'm Charles Morris. In the wintertime, we think how dark it has become. The sun seems to set earlier. Evening is upon us. And in the morning time, the sun seems to rise even later. It's a time when all of us need to know that not only is Jesus Christ coming again, but Jesus Christ has come into our world. Reality has a way of correcting our imaginations. Christmas can often be a time of rosy thoughts about baby Jesus. We hear sentimental Christmas songs and we can picture a safe and clean environment where Jesus was laid to sleep his first night on this earth. Well, when Keith and Kristen Getty decided that they would write a new Christmas carol, they wanted to connect with Christ in all his messy but wonderful humanity. Keith wrote the music while Kristen was pregnant with their first child. Kristen wrote some of the words before she gave birth, but found labor and delivery a correcting experience. She had originally begun this hymn with the words, softly, softly, is Jesus coming? But after experiencing the real process of childbirth, softly wasn't quite the right word to express the pain. And yet the wonder of bringing a child into the world. So instead she began the song with Jesus, joy of the highest heaven. Jesus certainly did not come softly and painlessly into the world, but he did bring joy. St. Paul in the book of Philippians tells that young church in the New Testament day that they could fill up in the joy of Jesus by having the same mind as Christ. Philippians 2, 6 and 7, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. It is our instinct to run forward in the verse and talk about how the greatest demonstration of Jesus' humility is his crucifixion. But stay with me for just a moment at the beginning of Jesus' life on earth. Jesus did not count equality with God something for his own advantage, but took on the nature of a servant. Jesus is later exalted above every name because he started so small. He was just a baby. He became small and helpless, even while remaining fully God and fully man, so that we could have a living and real joy. Someday to come, 
Everyone on earth will fall on their knees and be reduced to humility. Just like where Jesus started, he was small, he was placed in a manger, he became little and poor, but he did not stay that way. The Father exalted him above every name because he was obedient from cradle to cross. He became a man and he humbled himself so that we could have him and in him we could have joy. It was his very real humanity that could secure the kind of salvation that we need. Since it is humans who need to be saved, he had to be like us in every respect except without sin. As Kristen Getty placed their little firstborn daughter, Eliza Joy, into her shiny car seat for the first time she realized, Mary had to protect Jesus. She had to feed Jesus, change him, teach him to walk, wake up through many sleepless nights. Illustrating this, Kristen wrote the words, Jesus, laid in a lowly manger, facing a world of dangers, come to turn me a stranger into a child of God. We were strangers to God, and so far from him that he became like us in every way. He took on the vulnerability of humanity for our sake. He was a little baby, and yet he is the king. Jesus, joy of the highest heaven, born as a little baby under a wondrous star. Like us, crying, he takes his first breath, held by his mother, helpless, close to her beating heart. Jesus, laid in a lonely manger, facing a world of dangers, come to turn me, a stranger, into a child of God. From Joy, an Irish Christmas album, Keith and Kristen Getty, Jesus, Joy of the Highest Heaven, one of the newest carols of the Christian faith. Music and our words are a way of responding to God. We know what he has done for us through Jesus, and we respond to him with words that come from grateful hearts. But we have the freedom to call on the name of the Lord in our own words, partly to a man named Isaac Watts. If you sing hymns in your church, like we do in mine, you will recognize hymns like When I Survey the Wondrous Cross and O oh God, Our Help in Ages Past, written by the one they call the father of English hymnody, Isaac Watts. He was born into a family of dissenters, and that means his father opposed the state church in England and spoke out against some of its practices. This got Isaac's father thrown in jail twice. One of the requirements in Isaac Watts' day was that songs and worship services had to come directly from the wording of psalms from the Old Testament. While Watts deeply appreciated the words of Scripture, he also believed that when writing songs for worship, the psalms could be adapted to include singing to Jesus by name. As a child, Isaac wrote rhymes continually. There was a time when Isaac was being disciplined when he said, Oh, Father, do some pity take, and I will no more verses make. Isaac often bemoaned to his father those singing at church seemed to just be going through the motions. And one day his father responded, Well then, young man, why don't you give us something better to sing? 
Isaac would go on to write more than 750 hymns and adaptations of scripture for singing. He believed that all the scriptures, especially the psalms we sing, should focus on Jesus. As Luke 24 says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the psalms. Out of this conviction, Watts published a hymnal called Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament with adaptations of almost every psalm. One of his most well-known hymns, now sung at Christmas, was originally intended to be sung in reference to the second coming of Christ. It's an adaptation of Psalm 98, which is why it does not mention the birth of Christ, the announcement of the angels, or many of the other expected references for Christmas songs. And yet this carol is so fitting to usher in the celebration of Jesus' birth. And now, let's listen. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. famous Christmas carol of all for the best of Christmas by the Haven Quartet. Not too many weeks ago, I sat down with Ann Voskamp, a best-selling author, a farmer's wife, and a homeschool mother of six children. And we talked about what her family enjoys doing come Christmas time. When one of your kids was five, yes. the oldest, he brought this up about giving at Christmas, didn't he? He did. We were talking a minute Christmas, and he said, Mama, if Christmas is Jesus' birthday, why couldn't I be giving gifts to Jesus for his birthday? So it really took me aback. Uh -huh. So we started this tradition if we wanted to give gifts to Jesus at Christmas, we would give to the least of these. So we take the the World Vision Catalog and the Compassion Catalog, the Samaritan's Purse Catalog, Harvest for Hope Catalog. So every morning at breakfast, two weeks working our way up to Christmas, and the kids love this. They'll come in from barn chores, hungry, <laughs> and they'll come in for breakfast. We will have breakfast together, and then they open up all these catalogs, and we'll set aside so much every morning that they can give, and they all have to negotiate where they're going to go. So they'll so collectively, collectively they'll they decide, decide. You know what? Oh, this is a good deal. You get so many chickens for so much money. I think rabbits are a better idea. Uh -huh. So they negotiate. So each morning, two weeks before Christmas, that's how we work our way up to Christmas. It really does build this anticipation that we're giving to Jesus as the greatest gift. You're listening to Jesus Has Come to Our World, a Haven Today Christmas special. I'm Charles Morris. Come back with me into an older world, a world where a city had recently heard news that her prophesied prince was on his way and finally coming home. You can imagine the bustling around as People in some parts of the city scrambled to get ready for the coming of the prince. Those who had long been unjustly locked in the dungeons of the city waited with eager expectation to have the coming prince come and hear their case and declare them in the right and then place the keys he had brought in the locks and open wide the dungeon doors. But there were also many who did not want the prince to come. They 
filled their money bags by tricking the poor. They took advantage of the elderly who could not protect themselves. These evil doers had an inkling that the coming prince would not overlook them and their craft. Their life was comfortable, thank you very much, and he might call them to account for all the bad that they had done. Those who wanted him couldn't bring him any faster, but those who hoped the prince would never come would not be able to keep him away. The prince came precisely when he intended to, and he would save and rule in the city. This is a story we might recognize. It is the story of a son who promised to one day be with us and to bring a people out of exile. It is the expectation of one, capital one, who would be coming from an almost forgotten family. It's a family called the branch or rod of Jesse. The shoot or branch brings to mind an old stump of a tree that had been cut down and left for dead, suddenly springing out with a tiny new shoot bursting with green life. This new life promised to bring others who were down in the dungeons of death back to life. This promised prince would come like a radiant, surprising sunrise. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, said a prophet of this old world. He would shine bright light into a dark and depressed world to bring hope to those eyes which had slowly grown dim, forgetting what a sunrise even looked like. The prophets all promised that this prince would have the keys to death and Hades. That meant that whatever he opened would stay forever opened and whatever he shut would stay forever shut. If he brought his people to life, they would never die again. But what the prophets predicted and may not have expected is that this young prince wasn't just coming to save and rule in their city. He would rule all the surrounding cities and even countries far away that they had never even heard of. When he was in charge of all the cities, they would no longer fight wars against each other. Some called him the Prince of Peace for this very reason. Do you know the name of this prince? His name is part of the holiday we celebrate at the end of every year. We may ourselves have forgotten because we live in a new world that this holiday, though, is all about Jesus. Christmas, it was named. Jesus is the one who came down and tabernacled God with us. Jesus was that sprouting shoot, bursting with new life, that came from a stump that seemed completely dead. Jesus is the sunrise that sends out his beams to warm and heal a cold and darkened world. Jesus is the key of David who could open and shut permanently. And Jesus is also our Prince of Peace. He came as a shepherd looking for the sheep from other pens. All the nations are calling on his name to be saved and one day will be completely free from war and division that comes from them. You're listening to Jesus Has Come to Our World, a Haven Today Christmas special. I'm Charles Morris. Why did angels announce Jesus' birth to shepherds? Charles Wesley's hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, is a poetic arrangement of the angel's announcement that Jesus was born. But we ask again, why were unnamed shepherds chosen as the ones to hear that a Savior, the Son of David, had been born? The Gospel of Luke tells the story of Jesus' entry into the world through the eyes of many hearers. 
The news that a Savior was born was too good to only come to one person. You know the infectious excitement when you receive good news. The wife who has been trying to conceive a child and then finds out she's pregnant doesn't only tell her husband, although she's bursting with excitement to tell him. She goes on to tell every person who will listen. Best friends get a call. Siblings hear the news. Facebook gets an announcement. Everyone has to know that the ones who were waiting for months or years, praying and hoping for a baby, are now expecting one to arrive. I think this is the kind of enthusiasm Luke has when Jesus is born. Even before he's born, Mary gets the announcement from an angel that she will be expecting a Messiah to come from her womb. She tells her cousin, and that causes the future John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb to leap for joy. But then Elizabeth asks the same question we are asking about those shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. Elizabeth asks, but why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? Why were unnamed shepherds in a field chosen to hear this good tidings of great joy? But before we answer, let's look at how Luke adds two others who saw the baby Jesus with their own eyes. Simeon in Jerusalem and Anna, who was a prophetess. Simeon had the gift of witnessing the salvation of God because of a promise. Luke 2, 26 says, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. The elderly prophetess Anna had been fasting, worshiping, and would not leave the temple. And so she was chosen to tell others about Jesus, those who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. The Lord revealed Jesus in the book of Luke to Mary, the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, as well as Simeon and Anna, elderly Israelites waiting for the coming Messiah. But why was this good news announced by a whole host of angels from heaven to unnamed shepherds in a darkened field? I think we get an answer in Ezekiel 34. The context is that the ones in charge had mistreated the people of Israel, the ones that were chosen rulers who were supposed to protect and guide the Jewish nation had taken advantage of them and cheated them. So God promised, I myself will come and look after them. No longer would God rule his people through kings, prophets, and priests. He promises in Ezekiel 34, I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. The angels came to shepherds watching over their flocks by night and told them that their shepherd had come. The shepherds in the field would become the sheep. Another promise from Ezekiel 34, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. Why were the shepherds chosen to hear this news? Because they needed to go see the Messiah. They needed to become like little needy sheep herded by the bright light of a star to a place in Bethlehem where a baby was wrapped in swaddling clothes. These shepherds, unknown, watching in the dark, had finally been found by their shepherd, the good shepherd. Jesus had come. Now, let's hear from children's author Sally Lloyd-Jones, sharing with us, in her own unique way, how Mary found out that Jesus was soon to be born. He's here. 
the Nativity from Luke 1 to 2. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people, just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking, in the darkness he came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great-great-great-great-great-grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared, right there in her bedroom. He was Gabriel, and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around the God who made the universe with just a word, the one who could do anything at all, was making himself small and coming down as a baby. How many times have you heard Luke chapter 2? How many more times do we need to hear it again? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because in Bethlehem there was no room to rent. by me forever and 
The Haven Quartet, and Away in the Manger. Luke 2, in verse 15, goes on to say, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. What reflections might strengthen and encourage a young poet facing the possibility of his untimely death? William Chatterton Dix was an insurance salesman whose heart was to write poetry. Encouraged by his father, who had christened him after a well-known English poet named Chatterton, William pursued this passion. He mixed his day job selling insurance with his hobby writing verse. But William wouldn't permanently multitask. At a young 29, he was struck with a disease that restricted him to his bed for six months. In those long days and nights, he reflected on the nature of God and on his faith and the power of Jesus to save him from sickness and the threatening possibility of death. It was in this state of soul-searching that William Chatterton Dix wrote a poem that would be adapted into a famous Christmas carol, What Child Is This? The carol opens asking, What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? Perhaps these were young William's reflections in those dark hours of depression, sickness, and waiting. In the Gospel of Luke, the old man Simeon, who had been waiting for the birth of the Messiah, prophesied these words, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. William Dix may have been thinking, What kind of child could have such wonderful and awe-inspiring words predicted of him? But William doesn't just ask questions in this carol. He answers those questions. This is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. The son of God, fully human and fully divine, had chosen a manger to be his throne. If Jesus could endure such a reduction, even while remaining the king, then we, together with the author of this wonderful carol, can look to him even when we face threatening circumstances and even our own deaths 
as we believe that our King will shepherd us through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, may the peace of Christ, the Christ of Christmas, rule in your heart as a member of one body, his body, his church. You were called to this peace. Be thankful and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And whatever you do from this Christmas celebration onward, whether in word or whether in deed or whether in song, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. I hope this has helped you keep Christ at the forefront of your heart this Christmas season. And now if you want to hear more content like this, why don't you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us get the word out. Give us a five-star review. You can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Mm-hmm.